For Gabe Canales, healthy living didn't come naturally, but prostate cancer pushed him in the right direction. And as the founder of the Blue Cure Foundation, he travels the country to teach and inspire men to live healthier lives. During this episode, we discuss his prostate cancer journey, the most important step he's taken to maintain a healthy lifestyle, and his latest book, Unexpected Diagnosis. And a quick announcement that if you've been wanting to launch a podcast, but need some help getting from point A to point B, I can help in September. I am launching an online course and I'm leaving a few spots open for free uh, through the end of this month, August. So you can sign up for the newsletter to get more at cruisethroughhtx.com. Hi, I'm Ed Sheeran. This is Bruno Mars. Hey, it's Katy Perry. This is your man Florida with Freddie Cruz. This is AJ Mitchell with Freddie Cruz. Freddie Cruz. Freddie Cruz. Tell you go pick Mr. 305 and you already know what it is. My name is Freddie and it's time to cruise through HTX. Gabe, rather than begin the day you got the diagnosis, walk me through the day before or even the week before you got your prostate cancer diagnosis. What was life like for you? Was this ever even something that was on your radar, et cetera, et cetera? Well, thanks for having me on. I was a business owner and I owned a marketing advertising public relations agency and I was nonstop busy. And this had been a interruption in my life to go to a urologist and get a biopsy um, a week and a half before my diagnosis. So in the back of my mind, I kept, you know, wondering, I was expecting a phone call and just, you know, I didn't, I didn't have an expectation that I was, it was going to be a bad phone call, but I was waiting for this phone call to let me know what was going on. I was told not to worry. Um, so I was trying to just do my normal routine, which included meetings, traveling all over Houston, meeting with clients, uh, working out, um, going to events at night. But what led me to a urologist in the first place, Freddie, was that I had gone to get an annual checkup and I hadn't gotten a checkup in over a decade, um, a very long time. And when I had blood work done, my primary care physician said that I had low testosterone. No big deal, he said, but he recommended that I go see a urologist. And I went to a urologist and they confirmed that I had slightly low testosterone. And they gave me a testosterone gel to rub on my shoulders. And he said that, um, you know, I should I should see a, a, a change in my energy and in my muscle mass. I mean, everything should be changing pretty quickly. Um, so, but the physician's assistant contacted me uh, shortly after the um, results came back that I had um, confirming that I had low testosterone and he kept mentioning a PSA again, because I owned a marketing company, I kept thinking public service announcement. They want to hire Baylor college of medicine wants to hire <laughs> my company to help with a public service announcement. And when I finally stood still for a second and asked him, because usually when I was on the phone with someone I was always doing something else too. I, I was never really focused if it wasn't a client. And so, but this was about my, my medical, um, this was a medical condition. This was my health. And so for, for a second, I said, wait, what, what, tell me, tell me again, what are you talking about? PSA, PSA. And he said a prostate specific antigen, which as a 35 year old guy, I had no idea what he, and I'm sorry, you said that's a prostate specific 
Antigen? Antigen. Okay. Antigen. So they had tested that while they tested my uh, testosterone. And so he said that the levels were were higher than they should be and that I needed to go back and retest just to make sure there wasn't anything wrong. And so, of course, I said, PSA, too, too high. Um, okay. So I spoke to my father shortly after, and my father told me that um, his, his, I remember him saying that they were full of shit. They were just trying to build the insurance company. He said, I wouldn't worry about it. There's nothing wrong with you. <laughs> and so I didn't worry about it. I mean, that's the kind of upbringing that I had, though, with my father. A lot of men grow up suppressing feelings and not really uh, dealing with their health issues. But especially in the Latin community, in the Hispanic community, it's a lot more machismo. And I grew up with a father that would always say, you know, suck it up. You're fine. Don't be a wussy. But the physician's assistant kept calling me and said, I really encourage you to get another PSA. And so finally I went back, had another PSA. What, how long did it take to go from, from that initial, you have high PSA to finally going, are we talking a week, two weeks or months? No, 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 not, not a few months, but a few weeks. And I finally went back and I retested. I got the, I got news that it was, it had, it was a little higher than the previous one. So he recommended that I have a biopsy. And when he, explained that they would need to extract samples of my prostate through my rectum. I said, Nope, (laughs) I don't think so. And he said, you'll be able to go back to work right after he said, you'll be fine. It'll just be a pinch. (laughs) And he said, and only because he said, it'll just be a pinch. Did I decide to go do it? It wasn't just a pinch. The local didn't take. So I felt, excuse me, 12 pieces of my, uh, every time they took an extraction and I was awake and I I felt everything. It was like my body was imploding. It was, it was a terrible, terrible experience. And so I was dealing with with that for, um, uh, gosh, a few weeks. And then I received that phone call as I was, I remember walking, walking out the side of my house uh, getting into my car uh, to head up to Lifetime Fitness. And I looked at my phone and I got a phone call from my urologist. And he said, I have some good news and I have some bad news. Bad news is you have cancer. Good news is you'll be fine. <laughs> That's, I said, what? And he said, it's such a, it's a, it's, it's a low grade cancer. He, he said, you need to come in and we'll talk about options. But when you hear those words, you have cancer, everything stops. For me, everything stopped. Time stood still. And not to be dramatic, but I remember just walking right back into my my uh, house and just kind of crouching on the floor and just asking, how could this happen to me? What is going on? And the first question I, I asked myself is, am, am I going to die? And that year, I'd had some friends diagnosed with cancer who eventually did pass away. And so I was seeing them go through their uh, cancer journeys and they were experiencing much more aggressive cancers. So having gone through most of my life, not knowing anyone with cancer and then that year knowing people that had it and then died from cancer. And then I was diagnosed with cancer 
it, it really shook me. So that's what it was leading up to that diagnosis. That's what it was like. You know, prostate cancer is one of those cancers that men can bounce back from if, like you, it's caught it's caught early, stage one. I'm not sure about stage two. I And of course, the the higher the stage, the later the stage, the harder the, the battle is. But is, is prevention, and we can shift course to prevention and healthy living, is prevention just as easy as as a, as a full recovery after an early diagnosis? Or is it just like one of those things where if the universe decides to give it to you, you got it? Yeah. So I don't know if you know this about me. I live with prostate cancer today, 13 years after my diagnosis. You might say, well, how? How do you live with it? I was given an option after my diagnosis. I saw six urologists at five cancer centers. And I was told I need to get, I need to have surgery. I need to remove the prostate gland. Um, My, my cancer was low grade. It was low volume, but to ensure that it didn't do anything down the road, the surgeon suggested that we remove the prostate and, and, and get the cancer out of you. So then I saw, I sought a second opinion and that second opinion was, well, you, again, have such an early stage, low grade, low volume prostate cancer that we can put you what's all called active surveillance, where we monitor the cancer through PSA tests, biopsies. And if it starts to become much more aggressive, then, you know, we'll take it out through surgery or radiation. But before it becomes aggressive and it, it, it leaves the prostate gland and spreads to other parts of your body. Okay. So to me, those were two very, very different opinions on what I should do. And I went back to the urologist who diagnosed me and I said, what do I do? And he said, I want you to, if you have the resources, see who I believe is the world's best urologist in New York City. So I flew up and saw this urologist at a very renowned cancer center and put me through a battery of tests. And he said, look, you could live 15 to 20 years before this really does something to you. He said, so I'm going to recommend active surveillance like the other doctor. And if we notice something, if we notice that it becomes much more aggressive, then we'll do something. Okay. So I saw a fourth doctor while I was in New York City. He also recommended active surveillance, but here was the first question he asked me. What's your diet? (laughs) I said, what? None of these other doctors have asked me what my diet is. I'm from Texas. I'm a meat and potatoes guy. He said, what does that mean, meat and potatoes? I said, well, I mean, just exactly that. I, I Potatoes is what I eat with everything. French fries, <laughs> uh, mashed potatoes, uh, scalloped potatoes. I mean, and I eat lots of hamburgers, fajitas, steak, brisket, barbecue, ribs, and then he says, where are the, the greens? Where are the greens? Where the, where's the salad? And I proudly proclaim, I don't eat vegetables. I don't Ooh. eat greens. I don't eat salads. Probably not the best thing to tell a, a doctor. <laughs> Honestly, even though there I was a really well-educated guy with graduate school, that, that shows you that none of that really means anything because I didn't know, I didn't understand any health benefit of vegetables. I just didn't. I didn't understand the need for fiber. By that time, so that doctor who asked me those questions, he already, I already had to share with him my, um, my um, family history. And 
he said, though prostate cancer doesn't run in your family, poor lifestyle habits do. I believe your low-grade, early-stage prostate cancer is a result of your lifestyle habits. It's a result of your diet. I, I said, come on. I mean, at this time in my mind, I'm thinking, this guy's a quack. But he's a, he's, a, he's, a, he's a renowned guy. He's very prestigious and had some very uh, good recommendations from some very famous people. And so I just thought, I don't know if he knows what he's talking about. But he said, I recommend you stay. You We get you on active surveillance, but it's active holistic surveillance. Okay, meaning he said, I believe that you can slow the progression of your early stage prostate cancer, you can actually, you have a role in slowing the progression of your disease by drastically changing your diet as well as your lifestyle. You need to sleep. You need to manage stress. You need to exercise. You need, uh, you know, he's, he's telling me all these things that no, none of the other doctors even discussed with me. They didn't even ask me these things. Why do you think that is? Because it seems like if half of, half of all cancers are preventable, well, shouldn't we start engaging in all those behaviors, eating right, sleeping right, exercising? Maybe that doesn't mean going out for five or six days out of the week for an hour. Your David Goggins are going hard, but maybe just two or three times you begin with that. And then you go into four or five times a week. I mean, these all seem like pretty simple lifestyle changes, but you're not hearing that. And so how much of a factor do you do you think larger interests play in, in not wanting to have that conversation? Well, it's one of the reasons why I started Blue Cure. I didn't hear that message anywhere from the Prostate Cancer Foundation, from the Zero Prostate Cancer Organization, from November. I didn't hear that message in 2010. I would go to their websites to confirm what I had just heard from this doctor and from the books that I was reading, but I simply didn't hear that message. In fact, I remember meeting with a, there was a guy that MD Anderson had set up a meeting with a representative from November. And this was back in 2012. I believe it was 2012 or I think, or maybe 2013. And I remember that this representative met me at Hotel Zaza and we were, um, uh, he wanted to learn more about Blue Cure in the message that we had. And so, you know, Movember's big focus was reaching young men. It's always been reaching men to get them to raise money for prostate cancer research. And he said that um, he admired what I did, but he said that, you know, when you really start drilling down on what you can't eat or what you should, or what you should eat more of, when you, when you talk about diet, when you talk about things like that, it starts peeling away possible people that can fundraise. This message isn't, they, they, these guys at these different nonprofits, they do good work. They do good work. I mean, one day, you know, my God, I, I, we, we hope and pray that tomorrow there's a medical cure and that we continue to have better treatments. But the message that my doctor gave me in New York City, if it can slow the progression of my early stage prostate cancer, and if I also can do things in my life, which can significantly reduce my risk of not only prostate cancer, but heart disease, diabetes, stroke, high blood pressure, all the things that have taken men in my family and women in my family prematurely, because there aren't different habits for this and different habits for that. They're all the same. So 
that's when I said, I want to start an organization that has that message. There's one more thing that I wanted to talk to you about, Gabe, and that's your book, Unexpected Diagnosis, which came out last year. And y'all get this book uh, because it'll blow your mind. Just it'll give you hope, but it's uh, packed with information. It's packed with Gabe's uh, prostate cancer journey and so much more. But you, you talk about masculinity and healthy living not being mutually exclusive. So let's dive into why they are not. I've worked hard in the last decade of Blue Cure to really share my journey, but also try to address that issue. I believe that by more, by encouraging men to share their stories, their health journeys, we chip away at the stigma that keeps men from taking action, from getting their checkup, from knowing their numbers and what those numbers mean. And knowing that there is a link between lifestyle and dietary habits, how poor you eat or how well you eat, how that affects your LDL, how that affects your blood pressure, how that affects your BMI or your body fat percentage, how that affects your blood sugar, how those numbers can correlate and often can lead to heart attack, stroke, diabetes, etc. So I've worked to try to make that make that link, and just by um, encouraging uh, men. By, you know, there's no shame. There's no shame at all in us talking about these things and being vulnerable, being authentic, talking about these issues. And hopefully that chips away at this, this, uh, this stigma that keeps men from um, not only confronting their issues, but, but thinking that it's, it's in the, in a box that's not a masculinity box. And I think that, you know, that, that can do a lot of harm in particular in the, Hispanic and black communities too, where it's even much more uh, pronounced. I remember seeing you share something a long time ago about soy rizo and the blowback from my family. Uh, because if, if you're listening to this podcast, I've never seen what I look like. I am Cruz as in C-R-U-Z, not Tom Cruise. I am a brown boy, grew up with the flour tortillas and the chorizo. And so soy rizo is like, uh, that's like the antichrist of Mexican food. You don't do that. But uh, I was like, no, really, it tastes great. It is amazing. You don't even know. I mean, if I did a blind taste test with any of my family and friends, soy rizo would probably, if I had to guess, would probably win out. And they would probably not know the difference unless you're talking, you know, the greasiest chorizo that's drizzling, the grease is drizzling down your arms. But no, you're right. There's a there's a certain stigma to it, Gabe. Um, and, and for me, it's like, I, I kind of frame it this way, at least, at least for me, it's like, um, what do I think is, what do I think is more manly that I'm taking care of myself and living an example for my wife and my daughters and skipping the red meat and skipping the processed sausage and whatnot. Not to say that I haven't had that maybe in the past year or so, but not having it every single day and going out and exercising and trying to to lead by example. So what's more manly? That or engaging in all this, for lack of a better term, just excessive overeating and binge eating and treating my body like a garbage can and sitting on my ass and doing absolutely nothing about it. And when I'm, you know, I'm 
going to be 50 in a few years, but in 15 years when I'm pushing 60, uh, what I can't walk up a flight of stairs and play with my grandkids. If I have grandkids, like what is that manly? What's your definition of manly? Yeah. According to the, uh, health and human services office of minority health, 80, listen to this, 80, 80% of Hispanic men are overweight and obese. Eight zero. To me, that is beyond shocking. There's nothing masculine about that. Over the last decade, I've gotten so much better with the way that I live my lifestyle, habits of form, and I, I live a lot healthier now. But that shouldn't be the elephant in the room. I mean, we should be addressing the overweight and obesity epidemic that this country is experiencing and facing. It's not healthy. It's just not healthy to be overweight and obese. As much as we try to say that it is, and culture continues to push that on us, look at everything that the CDC, the American Cancer Society, uh, the American Heart Association, look at their data. Um, but look at the long list from the CDC of all of the conditions that are associated with being overweight and obese. It's just not healthy. And 80% of Hispanic men being overweight and obese... I believe it is overall with all men, I believe it's 72 to 74% of American men uh, collectively are overweight and obese. That's just not acceptable. It's not sustainable either. Get the book. It is Unexpected Diagnosis, and you can catch up with Gabe Ganales on Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram. He's traveling the country and spreading the word about healthy living and cancer prevention. And also check out his organization on the web at bluecure.org. Gabe, appreciate you, sir. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Hey, it's me. I'm back with a quick little nudge. If you enjoyed this podcast as much as I did putting it together for you, then please leave a review on your favorite podcast platform and subscribe to the newsletter at cruisethroughhtx.com and share with your family and friends. Thank you.